Welcome. To Arcade Audio. Hey, it's Shared History. Open History. Okay. <laughs> Do you know what what brand that's from? Because I think you wrote this one. Oh man, is it? I I can't think of what would have open sesame basically as a brand. No, sesame Street. Is it? <laughs> wait, what is it? It's Coca Cola. Open. Oh, because it's Open Happiness or something like happiness. that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Coca Cola Open Happiness. Yep. That one was really difficult because. There was only two words, and I changed one of them, so never mind. No, no, it was perfect. Well, let's open happiness by opening history. Let's do it by sharing some history of uh, underrepresented or often overlooked folks from your dusty old history book, because that's what shared history is all about. I realize we, like, stopped explaining what our podcast was in the introduction to our podcast, like, on episode three. I also realized that we stopped introducing ourselves, which I feel like Look, we're just now nameless, amorphous it, beings. I feel like it doesn't matter because people <laughs> who have known me for 20 years will still text me and be like, but you and Cass sound similar. And I'm like, <laughs> we're both just altos and tenors. It's not our fault. <laughs> we're a couple of brassy babes. Some messy broads. I'm Natalie. I'm Cassidy. God oh. damn it. Nobody calls you Cassidy. Don't Nobody lie. Nobody calls you Cassie, but I needed three syllables. I respect it. I could have yeah. said I'm Nat. I'm Cass. Uh, We've now introduced ourselves. <laughs> Twice. Twice? Thrice? Thanks, Natalie. Uh, that just made me think my sister the other day was like, so-and-so keeps referring to you as, oh, I could say who it is. Our, because the episode already came out. Last week's guest, Adam McNamara, uh, referred to me, to my sister, as Nat. And my sister was like, huh. And because she she's like, I would never. And she, and I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't care. I think it's a fun social experiment for me of like, who, I usually don't introduce myself as Nat. And so then it's really fun for me of like, who within five minutes of meeting me has already feels that they could call me Nat and then people who have in my sister's case known me my entire life and is like and are like I simply cannot or like friends from high school who are like oh I would never yeah. it's very it's a very interesting like some people eventually get to a point where they're like can I call you Nat and then other people immediately decide that they can shorten my name I I feel like I I only ever call you Nat if it's like I, I don't know. I don't really do it that often. I do it if I'm ever doing one of our social media posts because you always put Nat in that. Because it's really Nat weird. and Cass sounds better. Nat, it does like sound Cass better. and Nat, Nat and Cass, like when you yeah. have the same amount of syllables, it just works better. Yes. Like on our social media posts, whenever you say Natalie, I'm like, who the fuck is that? But I always <laughs> call you Natalie. Yeah. Like when I'm talking shit about you to other people, I'm like, Natalie. Honestly, oh, thank you. Please use my Christian name whenever <laughs> you're talking shit about me. Some meme has been going around again that says, um, 
My name is Cass. I would appreciate you not calling me Cassandra, Cassidy. My name is Casserole. And so everyone's <laughs> been tagging me in, in that. I'm like, thank you for calling me by my Christian name, Casserole. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So now that we've covered this, um, <laughs> but also because I mentioned uh, Adam's episode from last week, our first international guest. Ooh. Ooh. I, I'm, a, I'm thrilled because I can reveal the fact that I've been doing a embroidery journal or thread journal this year and it's, it's so cool the if you don't know what it is neither did i my friends who invited me to do it and were like you should do this with us now none of them are keeping it up and i'm like the only one still going um surprise right i mean i commit uh <laughs> i love a project and i commit <laughs> to it much often to the detriment of, of your myself basement my basement and any other project <laughs> i've started dear readers uh for our listeners at home uh thread journal the way that it works is you just embroider like a little like a little doodle for every day you could just do like i'm just going to embroider something every day and so i'm just going to like embroider like a different flower every day and it's going to be this beautiful thing of flowers and that's okay. all it is uh, well is, is it okay if it's like 2d and non-fabric yeah. <laughs> um or you could do what I was doing, which is something like to commemorate the day, basically like a journal. Like today I did this, but we're in a we're in a pan we're in a panorama, so I haven't <laughs> been doing much. So the days that we record, quite often the days that we record, I embroider something about that topic that we covered because that's like usually the only momentous thing that has happened on that day <laughs> and so for for adam's episode i embroidered a tiny kilt and i'm very proud of how it turned out it actually turned out really well i feel like because it's it is there's plaid on it right yeah that was why that's i put hard. it off i embroidered i did the outline pretty quickly and then waited until I knew that I, I knew that I had the light because mama's eyes are getting old and <laughs> the attention span to figure out how to kind of make it look like I have stitched plaid and it's it's just a tiny kilt or oh, sorry it's a it's a wee kilt a wee kilt uh we will be posting it on the gram you're welcome I've said that so now Natalie has to do it. I mean it's fine <laughs> it's an opportunity for me to brag about the fact that I literally just started embroidery uh, <laughs> great I would just I just it occurred to me that because that episode has come out I can tell everyone about my wee kilt <laughs> makes me so happy but it's not about that it's not, not about kilts. It's not unless about. It is. I don't know your topic. It's not about Scottish history, unless right. it is. I don't know your topic. <laughs> Mine is not. We uh, we got new topics for you today. Just a reg regular old host episode. It's regular degular. With with no theme, but I might pull. I might call an audible and change what I do so that I reverse our way into a theme. So lay lay it on me. Lay it on me, Cass. You're starting today. I want to talk to you about a little bit of history, Natalie. Oh, wow. That is not what I was, I was not expecting that. I know. I defy expectations. There is a time and a place for history, Cass. This is both. <laughs> Literally. This is both. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to talk to you about the history of ADHD. Ooh. Yeah. Um, It's something that I think everyone knows about. Everyone has... They think they know what it is or they've got kind of 
uh, I can't think of the word stereotypes or preconceived notions. That's what I was thinking about what it is and some of what those, it means and what it looks like. Yes. Some of those may have been true when we first learned about it. I know when I was in like middle school, that's when there's this kind of like ADD, ADHD boom, or maybe it just felt like that because I was learning about it for the first time. A lot of those theories and things have changed. Also, there's this stigma that like it's kind of it's made up and you're just like naughty kids. But what I think is cool and what I'm here to tell y'all about is that it goes. It has been diagnosed and identified a long, long time ago. The first example that we know um, of a disorder that appears to be similar to ADHD was given by Sir Alexander Crichton in 1798. Crichton, oh, this is Scottish history. Crichton was a Scottish physician. Oh my God. <laughs> Sorry, that wasn't even intentional. I lied, I lied to you, Natalie. I lied to the readers and the listeners. I lied to myself. And I just want to beg for your forgiveness. Do you forgive me? I forgive you. Okay, I'll keep going. <laughs> uh, he was a Scottish physician. He was born in 1763. We're at the end of the 18th century. I need to say that out loud because there's dates in the 1700s. And then in this article, there's, it says 18th century. And I always forget mm -hmm. you go back a year. So if it says 18th century, it means you're in the 1700s. I have the same mental block. Yep. 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 <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, and like, if I'm reading something, even if they've been saying the same one the whole time, I'll have to stop and be like, okay, I'm in the ninth. This century. The 20th century. No. Fox. <laughs> um, so yes. So we are... That just made me think of Smash. The 20th century Fox Mumbo. We could do a baseball number. No? Did you nope. never watch Smash? Never watched Smash. Uh, I loved it so much. The one season. It's not about Smash, Cass. It, it's not about Smash. I just need to say... So I don't get yelled at in our questions corrections and suggestions email i know that there was more than one season of smash but i only saw one and i only really liked one anyway in your heart so, there's only one so yeah he was he was this the scottish physician um he decided to take a undertake a european tour so he went all over europe he went to all these like prestigious hospitals and schools he was in Paris, Stuttgart, Vienna, um, all over like Germany and everything. And he just wanted to, I don't know, learn about, about medicine. It wasn't, he wasn't. Oh, he wasn't just sightseeing? Yeah. Oh, no, no. Sorry. This was a medical tour. <laughs> I figured. But, but the thing is he wasn't specifically like looking for, I want to go to mental hospitals or I want to study mental like it was just generic broad I'm gonna to go to these famous places and see what they have to teach me in 1798 he published quote an inquiry into the nature and origin of mental derangement friends they did not speak wellly of um mental illness back then and some of the words they used were kind of like fucked up but didn't uh, treat any any of them that great either. Nah, 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 nah. But so just excuse some of the morbid um, 
verbiage here because I actually kind of super like Sir Alexander Crichton. Um, he published his inquiry, and at the time, it was really uncommon to focus on, like, mental disorders, diseases from a physiological and a medical perspective. I think a lot of times they, if there's something wrong with your head, it was like, you crazy or, you know, were they, know were they like, were they lobotomizing people or like being like, we can solve problems. It's a, it's a head, it's a pressure in your head and here's a, a hole through your skull. Were well, they doing that at this point? They were drilling holes in people's skulls at this point for, for various sure reasons holes. at this point. Yeah. But, but. Based on the fact that it was it was so uncommon to, quote, approach it from a physiological or medical perspective, makes me think that this was not like, if you're having mental issues, we don't, we, you can't fix that by fucking around with the body, is I think what their okay. We're not even thought trying. process was. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if, what they even did with that. You know, they didn't have talk therapy. They weren't doing Freud bullshit. Um, so I don't, I don't know if they were just like, get the demons out of you. Cause a lot of times they just thought it was demonic. So but Christian is, is a, Christian is a pioneer here. Christian is a pioneer. So he, he publishes this book and he's focusing on the actual physiological and medical aspects of mental quote unquote derangement. Uh, the second chapter of his book is called on attention and its diseases. So he never calls this ADHD. Um, he never says explicitly, but based on reading his journals, reading these publications, all of the criteria fit to a certain extent that they're like, he's onto it. He's describing ADHD and he is, you know, he's talking about ADHD, but he's not using the terms that we use today. And I realized that I should break down what ADHD is, friends. This is this is the modern day understanding of ADHD. Attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. It is a biologically based neurological condition that was once called ADD. ADD is not an accepted term anymore. Uh, there's three kind of subtypes. It's primarily inattentive, which is what we would have known as AD, ADD, inattentive primarily hyperactive impulsive which is the manic crazy child stereotype we have and or combined which is a combination of inattentive and hyperactive so i i may be using the term add just to separate but basically it's now called inattentive adhd or adhd or combined there's three different kinds so I didn't know that. I didn't know that ADD is not, it's not a medical term anymore. It's now subsets of ADHD. And one is inattentive, one is hyperactive. And so inattentive ADHD is, it's often dismissed because we have the, the notion of like you're hyper, you're running around, you're going crazy, you're bouncing off the wall. Inattentive ADHD is dismissed because people think it's, the kids just spacey. They're kind of apathetic. Um, they're just mis- they're, they're just a kid. They're just a kid that's a that's just a lot. Yeah, just a handful. Um, oh no no no. So so the inattentive one. 
uh, it's misdiagnosed a lot as a mood disorder or anxiety oh. in like adults. So, so sometimes these kids are like, I, I can't focus, but I'm not like super hyper. So people are like, oh, you're sad. It's like, no, <laughs> I don't have a, my executive functioning skills are just not the same. I'm just also not hyperactive with it. Um, so that's what's going on here and now. Christian, what he's describing is primarily ADHD, hyperactive ADHD. There's some mention of uh, in, inattentive ADHD. But he, he like outlines it. And his, his chapter of the book that says on attention and its diseases, um, here is the definition of attention. Like he, he just defines the word attention because understanding what that word means mm -hmm. is the basis of the behavioral attitudes around it. We have to agree on this in order to understand this. Exactly. Um, so it says... When any object of external sense or of thought occupies the mind in such a degree that a person does not receive a clear perception from any other one, he is said to attend to it. So that's basically saying like, hey, y'all, when I say attend, this is what I'm going to mean. And his uh, thinking is that they are so focused on one thing. If you throw one thing at them, they cannot focus on anything else. Or if you throw something else at them, they're like, I forgot about this thing and I'm over on this shiny object over here. Mm -hmm. um, and he emphasizes the intensity of healthy attention varies, uh, varies within a normal range between individuals and at different times in their life. A big thing about ADHD is that it's primarily... It's, it's prevalent in children mostly. And that sometimes like about 50% of people age out of it. 50% of people end up continuing the, uh, their uh, diagnosis into adulthood. And a lot of times adult ADHD, which is being uh, prescribed or diagnosed a lot more nowadays, is being diagnosed because it was not caught when they were kids. So those Poor yeah. executive functioning habits have now exacerbated and you don't understand what's going on when you're a kid. And when you're an adult, you're just like, oh, I'm lazy. I'm like very rude and interrupty and all that stuff, which those are now just like character flaws. Yeah. Well, no, you were. There are also like, I feel like now there's a much better understanding of, especially in adults, it seems like the, the spectrum of symptoms or like effects of it mm -hmm. are wildly different from person to person like it's such yeah. a broader spectrum of ways that your the ADHD can manifest itself yes. whereas I do think like and it might be reducing it to oversimplify it but I feel like in children it there's maybe fewer <laughs> ways that it manifests or that we yeah. recognize it and catch it in children and and it's it's primarily diagnosed in adolescent boys because again when we think of uh when the stereotype of adhd is i read something that said dennis the menace or calvin and Hobbes. you know it's a it's a naughty little boy who's 
bouncing off the walls and interrupting mm-hmm. and doing all the things and making a mess. And oftentimes it goes undiagnosed in girls because girls may not exhibit the same behaviors or it's just, it's kind of cute and endearing when boys are like, eh, whatever. And when girls do that, it's like, nah, stop, whatever. And so girls have to kind of shut that down and that exacerbates things. Yeah, that ex- that leads to a lot of adults with undiagnosed ADHD. Mm-hmm. Uh, and part of the reason that people are like, no, 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 that's, they'll be like, no, that's not ADHD, that's anxiety. And it's like, okay, well, like your anxiety can stem from... <laughs> Yeah. Like internalized stressors from undiagnosed and untreated ADHD. Yeah. And that's another thing that I, I never like realized too, is that a lot of times in girls or just people within a tent of ADHD, it's like, oh, you're sad or you're anxious. And I know there was this big like pill craze in the nineties of like, oh, we've got a pill for that. And kind of a lot of the subject of how young do you put kids on medication? And I know when I was hitting like high school, middle school, high school, I was hearing about more and more people younger than me that that were being put on medication. And a lot of times it was for depression or anxiety. And I wonder how much of that was just misdiagnoses and then that wasn't good. Yeah. But yeah. Um, so the things that Christian is saying about ADHD, about this um, attention disease, he calls it like an attention disease. It's all lines up with what we now call ADHD, inattentive ADHD, hyperactive, hyperactive ADHD. That's hard to say. It's a lot of syllables. Mm-hmm. Christian dis- depicts a great distractibility by extraneous and even slight stimuli a considerable restlessness and perhaps some kind of impulsivity when the disorder excites such a degree of anger as borders on insanity. He says that like that level and intensity of ADHD is not super common, but he, he emphasizes impulsiveness a lot too, which I think this is important because when we jump to, 1900s the turn of the century around 1902 uh there's a doctor sir george frederick still he's talking about this thing too i don't think he's referencing Crichton. these are all kind of separate thoughts because mental illness was not really written down studied um nothing was standardized internationally or anywhere it's so new and so if you're writing about something over here you could be writing about the same thing but it's we don't know Mm -hmm. so what he's talking about describes the same symptoms of adhd but he calls it a defect of moral control which oh good i know and and it's you know it's a turn of century it's 1900 so it goes back to that like we kind of fucked up on the verbiage but he defines um, moral control as the control of action in conformity with the idea of the good of all. Moral control is dependent upon three physical factors, a cognitive relation to environment, moral consciousness, and volition. So moral, I think, is not so much a sense of like, you're going to hell. 
it's almost just like an abstract, like, this is not a great thing to do. But just that kind of verbiage, even though this is not technically what we know or described ADHD, the verbiage around it since the 1800s, since the 1700s, has always just kind of built the stigma of the naughty child. I'm Laura. And I'm Vanessa. And, and we're a Tap, Tap on the Wrist podcast. Every week, we bring you a new history story with an alcohol twist. The stories you didn't learn from a textbook. In season one, we focused on alcohol-fueled crimes throughout history. And in season two, we told you all the secrets about Al Capone and the Chicago Beer Wars. For season three, we're introducing you to the women that built, got burned by, and ultimately changed the alcohol industry. Make sure you add us on social media, at a tap on the wrist. We are so glad you found us. Grab a drink and come along for the ride. And then we jump to, we're going to jump back a couple years, a couple decades. Um, in 1844, German physician Heinrich Hoffmann uh, created an illustrated children's stories, including Fidgety Phil. Or Zappel Philip. Um, Hoffman uh, was born in 1809. He was a doctor of obstetrics. And he, oh, when I said I like Christian, I mean, I like him, but it's, it's this guy. Because he rejected the common opinion of his time that the psychiatric patients were obsessed or criminal, but rather regarded mental disorders as medical issues. So we're sitting here in the 19th century. You got uh, it. Because it's, cause it's, uh, it's 1851. He's at a hospital in Frankfurt. And he, he was a psychiatrist as well as a doctor of obstetrics. Uh, so he dealt a lot with children. He was known for his revolutionary efforts to improve conditions of psych- psychiatric patients. So he wanted to have, you know, let's treat these mentally ill people like humans they're not criminals they're not defective this is a medical issue which is kind of huge and really progressive at the time because you think of up until the 1950s when we're trying to electroshock gay out of people like Mm -hmm. that's pretty progressive for the time when he was working with children uh he oftentimes would pull out a piece of paper and do little drawings for them if to like calm them down so that he could examine them. Cause again, he's like, let's treat them like patients and not, you know, or like people, not whatever. I'm not going to yeah. deal with this child. Um, so he would, he would do these little drawings and then someone was like, you should make a, you should make a storybook. So he makes this storybook called Struvel Peter. Fidgety Phil. And one of the stories in this storybook is Fidgety Phil. It was used. I love an alliteration. (laughs) Exactly. It was used as more of like an, an allegory and people. people I'm sure it has not aged well. Actually. I mean, it, it has aged. Okay. The thing is he's, he studied a lot of, um, mental disorders, stuff with children, stuff that was most likely ADHD and wrote about and all that stuff. He had these this lecture series. But 
people, some people want to argue that this book that Fidgety Phil is him like explaining to children how ADHD works. And I don't think that's true, but a lot of the behaviors that Fidgety Phil exhibits are hyperactive disorder. It says though that like moral, what was the word? So at the time, um, like moral morality little stories were really popular, but not like, not like Hansel and Gretel, like don't go, you know, whatever. It was like to help with health for kids and Mm -hmm. whatnot. They were starting to do that or, you know, just don't act shitty and you won't die or whatever. So some people think that it was probably just like fidgety Phil was a naughty boy and he ended up flipping over the table but some of the things that they reference, and they said that it might have been tweaked in later years where, so it starts and the father sits down and he goes, is Phil going to be fidgety at dinner today? Which suggests that this is a repeated behavior. There's a history, There's a history of this. Of yeah. it, and that Phil can't help himself and he starts squirming and fidgeting and squirming in seats is an actual symptom that is like medically written down like children squirming in their seats and fidgeting but then there's another i think the original way is the father says is phil gonna fuck around at the dinner table and then phil like doesn't intentionally to like be a naughty boy Mm. so it's like is it don't be bad or is it phil can't fucking help himself yeah either way Another example of the hyperactive little boy. Um, So that kind of stereotype and that our image of what it is has kind of just been ingrained over the years. Another thing that I thought was really interesting was people talking about the globalization of, of medicine, really. There's there's an article and one of the uh, one of the subtitles is sleeping with an elephant, where Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau described how being a neighbor to the USA was like sleeping with an elephant. No matter how friendly and even tempered is the beast, if I can call it that, one is affected by every twitch and grunt. Oh my God! It's just like the most perfect. perfect analogy ever, <laughs> but. It talks about how when in the 50s and, and 60s, when the study of uh, ADHD, mental disorders in children kind of like exploded, like it was only happening in the United States. It wasn't happening anywhere else. It's like, okay, well, this thing didn't just be created in, yeah. in America, but then also- There's something in the water. <laughs> but then also the fact that we jumped so quickly to medicinal uh, fixes. Yeah. And it was just, what's that book called? Or that Prozac Nation or whatever? Yeah. I don't know what it's about, but that's when like everyone was on Prozac. And, and because the pharmaceutical industry is insane in this well, country. And so everyone has a pill for everything. And I, I 100% know that medication is necessary for certain yeah instances and i am pro medication but also it needs to be tempered it doesn't always need to be used 
it needs to be studied a little bit it's also it's also the fact the like over prescribing things based on the fact that like literally like a pharmacy rep comes by your office hands you a bunch of samples and then like some merchandise yeah and is like we were actually just talking about this the other day of like of being like here's a mouse pad and a water bottle and a little backpack and (laughs) like and sometimes it's like sometimes they give doctors really nice shit have you ever been in have you ever been in an exam room and there's like a branded mouse pad and like a branded thing on the wall and Mm. like you see the same all the pens yeah you see like and i honestly i've never trusted a prescription more than if i'm in an exam room that has like the same the same medication like pens mouse pads everything i'm like surrounded and then my doctor prescribes me something other than that that like that it's in the same family of like what it treats but but they're like yeah i know that i'm i know that we've papered the walls with this (laughs) with this medication but uh I'm going to prescribe this to you. And I'm like, great. I trust that you are making that judgment for yourself. Either that or the gift that they gave, that brand gave you is like your car and it can't fit in the exam room. (laughs) Yeah. And well, and so, so the effects of the pharmaceutical industry in the United States is now spreading elsewhere. The United States is using pills for everything. Let's start using them everywhere. In an article I found, it said, while while American psychiatry may be in a muddle, American psychiatric disorders, with the invaluable help of DSM, which is the um, medical journal that they put out every year, Mm -hmm. have been on the march, spreading American notions of and pharmaceutical treatments for mental illness around the world like so many Happy Meals. Ethan Waters has argued disorders which first took hold in the USA, ranging from anorexia to depression, are now commonplace in Asia and Africa. With these disorders come their pharmaceutical treatments. Psychiatrist P. Morali Doraswamy has noted how, as the Asian psyche becomes more Americanized, people from Bombay to Beijing are increasingly turning to pills for stress, insomnia, and depression, rather than continuing the tradition in many Asian cultures of perceiving suffering and sadness as a part of spiritual growth and resilience. And just... I love when it's like, the problem is America. I hear that and I hear, the problem is capitalism. It always is. It's always America. Capitalism sucks. But it's also fun to be like, wow, America, America just ran around the country and it was like that scene at the end of any like high school 80s movie where they like throw all of their coursework in the air because like we graduated except pills that's what america (laughs) was doing just stepping off planes throwing fistfuls of thrown pills like rice or confetti at a wedding (laughs) it's true though and and it is such a superpower and it, it it just it has globalized perceptions of everything arts entertainment politics with you know we got a great reputation right now um and and capitalistic ideals and regarding psychiatry and medicine and all of that stuff um so that was really interesting too uh i my 
only I have I have ADHD, inattentive and hyper. So I guess I have combined. Oh, you've got look at you. I well, I mean, I didn't know that. I thought I had ADD and ADHD, but apparently they've reclassified it. So hey, honestly, I that new about me. the reclassification is easier for me to understand because I remember like learning the term ADD and then later learning the term ADHD and I was like I don't understand the difference yeah but I also do but the difference seems oversimplified well yeah and people are like well you can't have both one of them is like you're hyper and the other one is you're not how can you be both hyper and not I was like it's like uh (laughs) the same the same way that like any brain chemistry works yes she can flow in any direction <laughs> but also i mean that's why i think in all instances verbiage and vocabulary and correct usage is so important especially in the medical world especially when you're dealing with mental health mental disorders medicine that is going to help and or hurt mental health and mental uh, mental disorders and and the word inattentive adhd and hyperactive adhd like that makes so much more sense mm-hmm. being able to be combined yeah and that and yeah when i think of adhd i have that stereotype of the little calvin from calvin and Hobbes, which i realized i basically was calvin as a child <laughs> and and that you throw a bunch of pills at it. I had no idea about a the reclassification. I had I never thought about how it affected the rest of the world. And yeah, and I mean that's pharmaceutical industry in general. But so our word is law in America, and now everyone's I don't know. It's fucked up. And I never would have thought about that. Like, it's so much more far-reaching. It's almost like your word is law if you are the culture that is pumping out, is mass-producing pills for it. Yeah. 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 Hey, Nat, can we make this quick? I have to go check on my sponge. Your sponge? Ugh, you've been binging Bake Off again, haven't you? Four words. Paul Hollywood Soggy Bottom. Okay, well, when you're done with Amateur Hour, the adults will be over here ordering cakes from the pros at ECBG Cake Studio, because they make specialty cakes for all occasions. We're talking custom birthday cakes. We're talking jaw-dropping wedding cake masterpieces. We're talking Paul Hollywood just shook my hand, I deserve a cake cakes. ECBG Cake Studio, you said? Yes, and if you insist on trying to perfect your sponge, they also offer online baking classes. So follow at ECBG underscore studio on Instagram or visit their website, ecbgstudio.com. And, and that there was this kind of like, backlash that everyone was like well ADD didn't exist when I was a kid and now everyone's got ADD and it's like excuse me I have a new friend Sir Crichton from Scotland says it but that does also bring up a very interesting topic of this has been a thing forever Mm -hmm. because but we just haven't 
classified it. We haven't written it down and said this what it this is what it is. I'm sure to an extent there was also like not necessarily not I hate to say this, but not like a lucrative area of study or not an easy area of study because nobody like people still don't want to talk about mental health. Yeah. Or like any anything in that realm. And so are we talking about like people in Victorian ages who like don't want to talk about anything personal? (laughs) We're going to ask them like how they're feeling and like we're going to talk about their mental care do you know what they do when you do that? They lock you in a room until you go crazy and kill exactly. yourself. <laughs> like there are every like there's periods of time where it's like everything is either your own fault, mm-hmm. but it's never like it's it's never it's your fault because you were born this way, in which case it's not your fault. It's right. the chemistry of your brain. Yeah. It's you're weak minded or <laughs> or uh you're uh possessed by the devil because you had a a weak mind and moral compass and welcome the devil in yeah. or whatever. Yeah. That's, it's the same as like, there weren't any gay people before. Now all of a sudden everyone's gay. Yeah, well, it's every, everyone fucking burning people when they told yeah. you. It's, well, also like there wasn't, there wasn't homosexuality as we knew it in ancient Greece because the sexuality just was sexuality and you people everyone was like everything is a spectrum and i do what i want i'm attracted to and, who, and I, who want. I want yeah i do what i want i do who i want <laughs> but there is some thought that i mean more and more people are being diagnosed with adhd just because we know what it is we know more about it but also they don't know as much about you know, you're born with it. They say if it doesn't, if you don't have it, like before the age of seven, like it's probably something else. Like you, you have to exhibit symptoms from a certain age and for a certain period of time. But that perhaps with some of its nature, some of its nurture. You know, like some of it's you're you just are born with ADD, ADHD, excuse me. Um, but they think maybe some of it is based on the times, based on the prevalence mm-hmm. of medication that now more people are developing it. Um, which is interesting too. This is very interesting. Also, I'm going to hard pivot my topic and not do the one yes. I was originally going to do because I can back us into a medical theme. Mm. We can have at least, we can have a through line of medicine. We can also have a through line of accidental Scottish history. Yes! <laughs> so... Uh, I'm going to take us on a journey to the 19th century. So the 1800s. I'm also saying it out loud for myself. (laughs) So I'm going to tell you guys about the Angels of Pervis or uh, Mary Chisholm and Elsie Knocker. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I hate myself for giggling. (laughs) I'm not going to judge you because you're judging yourself enough. You're <laughs> you are punishing yourself. <laughs> Mary Chisholm uh, was born in 1896 to the chief of clan Chisholm, Captain Roderick Gooden Chisholm, and Margaret Fraser. Cue Outlander reference. <laughs> <laughs> also, Jen Taylor, uh, our our love from comedy sports. Her her Scottish part of her history is Chisholm. Oh, I didn't I know, know that. Because she tells me all the time. All the everything, time. Everything. 
This chism. Well, Jen, this one's for you. <laughs> Her family was like independently wealthy. Um, and, you know, wealthy, wealthy boys have their toys. So Chisel. Ugh. I hate Chis- that. <laughs> Chisel's nope it is now uh but but i because it's like boys and their toys but then it's like i feel like there's there's wealthy boys and their toys oh it's it's completely different yeah Yeah. it's just elevated uh boys and their toys probably like that that idea probably stems from has to stem from a place of like wealth and privilege yeah um because not every boy has their toys okay (laughs) but chisholm's older brother does have his toys uh, he had a Royal Enfield 425cc motorbike. Ooh. And she would watch him like compete at rallies and speed trials. And ev- so eventually, much to the chagrin of her mother, her father bought her a motorbike as well. Ooh. And so, so that's Mary Chisholm. Meanwhile, Elsie Knocker was born into a doctor's family, orphaned young. So different upbringing than Chisholm, uh, sent to school, eventually found her way to medicine. She trained as a midwife. She got married, had a son, got divorced, and then somehow also found her way to motorbikes. Wait, what? <laughs> so we got two two ladies who love motorbikes. So uh, like literally like Chisholm would like watch her brother race and work on his bike and then she learned to fix up bikes and basically mm-hmm. was a mechanic and then elsie knocker kind of found a love of motorbikes when she got when she was older and just was fascinated and immediately i guess this was, this was just like a hobby that like people yeah. had they're just like cool so when they meet chisholm is 18 she meets elsie knocker who is 30 uh and they begin competing on on a motorcycle and sidecar trials together Ooh! so you know they find each other against each other not against each other with each other fast friends fast because they're on motorbikes i get it i get it it was like unintentional when i said it but then i had to lean into it (laughs) uh much as you would a curve on a motorbike gotta lean into it when god damn it you're welcome cass cass they did it did wait what now they did it. They, they finally did it. Greatest store in the universe. Who? Raygun. They did it. They're the greatest store in the universe. Oh. Says who? Says Raygun. Oh. Okay. I'll buy it. You know what else you can buy? Clothing, home goods, and time travel supplies at raygunsite.com or at any of their six stores. Exactly. Use promo code SHARIALATER to save on your next order. That's raygunsite.com, promo code SHARIALATER, all one word. So when World War I breaks out in 1914, Knocker wrote to Chisholm and was like, there is, quote, work to be done. And she suggests that the two of them go to London together to become dispatch riders for the Women's Emergency Corps, which is a brand new service organization. It was intended to train women doctors, nurses, and motorcycle messengers. And that she's like, I got a medical background. We both fast on little motorbikes. Let's do it. So like, I guess Knocker in this situation is fully qualified and Chisholm is like halfway there. <laughs> I I got the bike. I got I got that part. So apparently 
this is like a fun little anecdote I found. Chisholm was spotted speeding and like weaving through traffic and making hairpin corners. And I don't know, probably like removing her helmet and like shaking out her luscious hair like you have to do if you're a female who touches a motorcycle. It's required. Um, except not because actually uh, by this point, Mary had cut her hair short. But nice. w- uh, we can imagine. Um she was spotted like doing all this weaving and weaving and bobbing, bobbing and weaving by Dr. Hector Monroe, who was organizing his own emergency corps. And he set out to recruit her. He was like, you're working for this one. I want you. He poaches her. She brings in uh knocker. She's like, I sure. Yes. But <laughs> I have giggled every time. And I can't <laughs> I've said knocker. Well, so this corps has a great name. This is the Flying Ambulance Corps. Ooh. Very Monty Python, the Flying Circus. Um, <laughs> their mission was to move wounded troops from the battlefield to hospitals in Flanders as quickly as possible. Because they they, they didn't, they otherwise, you know, death. Yeah. Uh, they that, that was like, they were moving people by motorbike for the most part. That was how they were doing it. Chisholm and Knocker were like, I'm in. And they head off to Belgium. This is why I say that, like, Scottish history, but we're not in Scotland. Uh, We just both happen to be Scottish. (laughs) Eventually, after after just some stressful days of bringing horribly wounded people from the field, let's throw it back to Anna Coleman Ladd and the grotesque injuries uh just the horrible injuries of uh trench warfare after bringing these wounded from the field and like literally stacking them on beds and floors and helping then helping lug the dead who have died while not being able to be treated to the mortuary and on top of it the flying ambulance uh building being evacuated multiple times i think chisholm and knocker are like there's got to be a better way we can save more people by cutting out the travel time and providing treatment on the front lines which yes yes you can because most of these most of their patients were like dying because they had to be moved so far or the delay was so long and then they got to the building and then there was a longer wait so these two ladies open up the Poste de Secours Anglais, or the British French, French, British French, the British First Aid Post. It was in an abandoned cellar in uh, Pervais, which I'm literally in my notes. I have the word pronunciation in bold written next to it, which meant that I was supposed to Google the prevent, but I I spelled it phonetically earlier, so I'm pretty sure I'm right. <laughs> um, so this abandoned cellar is just a hundred yards from the trenches. Short sprint. They they raise their own funds. These are enterprising ladies. They fundraise. They have they, and then they administer aid basically in this same location for three and a half years. Jesus. Because they're having to fundraise, they're constantly having to leave their post, go to England glad hand with the upper crust uh chisholm handed most of the finances she said that their expenses were 60 pounds a month and with that oh i didn't do oh i did don't worry uh I was like, <laughs> did, I, did i convert it yes i did um 
And with that, with that sum, they could run their dugout, as she called it, <laughs> their base hut, uh, which is like a second location, two ambulance cars, and one motor lorry. So 60 pounds a month was all they needed to run all of this shit. That is 5,253 pounds today or 7,217 US dollars today. Basically like running a mini hospital for just seven grand a month. They did great at fundraising. (laughs) Otherwise, they wouldn't have been able to keep this up for three and a half years. These two women would literally carry fallen men on their backs to the first aid station. So we're just piggybacking it. Jesus. Yeah. And then uh, a a fellow a fellow Corps volunteer. There's a quote uh, from a from another volunteer about Knocker that said, "quote She had an irresistible inclination towards the greatest possible danger." Which I was like, "What a very Ooh. what a what a eloquent way of saying bitch not afraid she just run head first. <laughs> At some point during all this wartime badassery. Chisholm was engaged twice, both to ser- times to servicemen, but never married. And at some point, Knocker married a a baron. So casual, casual. I will say I neglected to mention. So I mentioned that that um, Knocker was divorced, which at this point in time was a big no no. Like you were just ostracized. And so when she had met Chisholm, she actually lied about. She just lied and said she had been uh, widowed. Mm-hmm. So I believe at this point in the story, Chisholm does not know that. It, it led to their ultimate falling out when they were like adults that like they she was like, you lied to me. Oh, no. Um, Which just is like, y'all went through war together and you can't get over the fact that like this woman who wanted to like have a life and do things and knew that she wouldn't be afforded those opportunities as a divorcee. Yeah told a white lie that she was widowed i digress back in the trenches or trench adjacent back Um, in the trenches again both women uh were affected by a massive bombing raid and several gas attacks on their field hospital and so at one point they both are like badly injured and had to abandon the front for a bit while recovering it's kind of the only time that they really abandoned the front the entire time like over like four years injured yeah like and chisholm was able to like return pretty quickly but then had to then abandon her post again shortly before the war ended knocker i don't think was able to go back or by the time she was i think maybe their location had been like completely bombed to smithereens she she and knocker reunited in britain and saw the final months of the war as members of the of the new women's royal air force so we just making moves motorbikes to airplanes same thing (laughs) it's the same thing uh i imagine you just an old like a world war one airplane you probably are just like leaning and steering also Lean into that curve. You gotta lean into it. They they received a bunch of honors um, in recognition of all of the work that they did. They were among, this is interesting, they are among the most photographed women of the war. Seriously? Mm-hmm. And part of the reason the photos of them are were so compelling was like the story, but also like their, all the photos of them kind of undercut the 
press or public narrative of the war because these are two women who are like facing horrors a j- like in a cellar by a trench dealing with like horrible injuries mm-hmm. and the uh public eye like the like the the government is trying to not be like this is what's happening and yeah. so it's inter- so they just get popping up in photos and it's kind of undercut kept undercutting the public narrative which might be part of the reason they were photographed so much but that they just were like these ladies these she got something about her she got gumption she reads <laughs> she has an irresistible inclination towards the greatest possible danger you know <laughs> that old saying oh you know like you do mm-hmm. um they eventually went their se- separate ways Sources suspect because Chisholm found out Knocker had lied about uh, her divorce. Um, this same truth, the same revelation coming about led to Knocker's second divorce because her barren husband also found out that she was not a widow, that she had been divorced, and then he divorced her. And I'm like, insult to injury. Like, that's really kicking a girl while she's down. Yeah. Um, Chisholm returned to motor racing for a spell. Uh, before ultimately returning to Scotland for a quiet life of poultry breeding with a childhood friend. <clears throat> Which what? I, I'm not saying, I'm not saying, quote, quote, a friend. Roommate. But also she was never married and now she's breeding chickens. I mean, I just want, I just want her to be happy. I also I want her like... to make up with Elsie Knocker because I'm like, y'all went through like... shit. There was no cock in that hen house. Mm-hmm. 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 And that's okay. That's fine. You don't need that. Well, you do if you're breeding poultry. <laughs> like, if that's the object of yeah. uh, of what you're doing. Get, a, um, get one of those. And then both of them, so that's World War One. both of them hop right back in for World War Two. Hell yeah, round two. Let's go. Yeah. Chisholm was the tra- motorbike. They're training nurses now. Well... Chisholm is training new nurses, and Knocker joined the Women's Auxiliary Air Force, where she rose through the ranks. Uh, became she became a squadron officer, um, and then she left the RAF following her son's death when his plane went down in the war. Mm. Uh, Knocker lived until ninety three, and uh, Chisholm until eighty five. Wow. Um, but yeah, and they were the first women to nurse and dispense first aid behind battlefields like behind lines and they between the fact that they were uh, like heavily photographed um they also took a lot of photos and so their photos are what are valued because of their contradiction to the official account of the war and they also kept diaries so like they did a lot they wrote it all down they took a lot. They documented it, which is very different than a lot of the stories I tell on this podcast. Yep. <laughs> they documented it. Big old ass. And, and then, <laughs> and then they both lived very long lives and were able to also like tell their own stories in addition to telling it in their diaries. So that's awesome. That doesn't get to happen a lot, especially for women. Yeah. I also just, like, loved the idea that they're, like, we're racing motorbikes. Now we're nurses of the battlefield. Do you know what we should do? We should race these motorbikes and go save people from brutal, horrible war murders. Right? Injuries, wounds. War murders. That's logical. The, the logical yeah. war murders. 
War Murders is yeah. the name of my new World War One period drama that I will begin <laughs> writing. I'm glad I'm glad that I got to tell their story. It was not the story that I intended to tell for this episode. So like stay tuned for next time. I'm so time. glad we got to keep it thematic. I'm so glad it was you were keeping me on my toes and you were keeping you on yours. I was. All that improvising. We did it. <laughs> um yeah. Also just like let's just like I don't know. Be badasses. Let's Let's define mental uh, illnesses. Let's like pioneer medicine and then let's pioneer medicine in a much more like physical and in your face way. Yes. We're going to. We're going to write about it and then we're going to administer it. Then we're going to ride about it. We are. I shouldn't be on a motorcycle. Absolutely not. No, absolutely not. <laughs> Between be with your with your accident proneness <laughs> and my equilibrium issues, <laughs> neither of us should ever be at the helm of a motorcycle. <laughs> I have I've ridden passenger a, a lot. Not a lot. That sounds weird. I've ridden passenger on a motorcycle enough times. Uh, and I still get kind of nervous because you you are even as a passenger supposed to kind of like help like kind of like lean a little bit. Yeah. Um, mostly you're just not supposed to like go against what they're doing, but it is still. I'm always like I'm gonna I'm gonna wreck I'm going us. To kill it's gonna us. be my fault. <laughs> uh, but I do love a I do love a take off your motor your motorcycle helmet and reveal that for some reason your hair was just stuffed up there. Just tucked? Yes. Okay, first of all, even if you have short hair, even if you have no hair, every time you take off a motorcycle helmet, you should shake your your head and your mane about. Mm-hmm. It just feels glamorous. Also, everyone with their, like, gorgeous, silky, clean, and not matted and flattened hair coming out of motorcycle helmets, you're lying. You're lying. Yeah. And, or, it's more realistic to do the, have the ponytail that you've tucked into your jacket, yes. to your protective motorcycle padded jacket. I understand just doing something with it so that it's not blowing in the wind. When I see somebody on the on a motorcycle, if I see a passenger or a driver of a motorcycle with long hair that is just let go in the wind, I'm like that. You're gonna be dealing with some tangles. You'll be tang- <laughs> you're gonna be detangling that for days. Also, your hair is not going to look beautiful and shiny, and if it does, it's yeah. going to be shiny with sweat. Yeah, you're not pan- you're not Pantene commercialing your way out of a <laughs> motorcycle helmet, and that but you know really that's what this podcast is about that's is setting what this the record straight is about about that motorcycle on, hair care. On that note, things that we're very passionate about, <laughs> you can find some of these many many photos. Of Mary Chisholm and Elsie Knocker. I hope that I find like selfies. Uh, you, did you just laugh again? No. <laughs> yes. You can find. I'm a child. Photos of this and photos of from from Cass's story. I'm sure that they're probably not photos of. Well, there's there's some pictures of of, of Crichton the, from. Well, not a photo. Yeah, of yeah. But if we go far enough back. No, that'd be silly because he lived in the 18th century. Which is when? 
the 1700s. There it is. This is going to become a thing where it's like entomology and I figure out what it is. Nope. <laughs> Etymology? Etymology. Etym- no, I started again. <laughs> On that note, all of those pictures and or drawings are going to be on our socials, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, The handle is at SharedPod. You can check all that stuff out. Go to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating and a review. Uh, Stitcher, anywhere you can do that would be super, super lovely and helpful. We'd love that. Mm -hmm. And if you have any questions, corrections, or suggestions, you can email them to us at SharedHistoryPodcast at gmail.com. And that suggestion could be like, stop covering Scottish history, but we we make no promises. In fact, I can guarantee you that this is not the only, <laughs> this will not, this is not the second nor the last. Um, I mean, it is the second. Yeah. You have all been wonderful sitting there and listening to this episode, whether you've been fully attentive during it or whether your mind has wandered or you're multitasking we respect the way your brain works and we thank you for listening yeah yeah and uh and on that note until next time share you later later. we're getting really good at that thank you for playing arcade audio play more at arcadeaudio.net